Good evening. Hello, welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. I'll take a few moments and pray and then get going with the study. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your love tonight. I want to thank you that you care for us, that you look out for us, that you have our best interests in mind always. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for, God, uh, just the, the forgiveness and the grace that you deal with us in and, and that you abide and we abide with you in. So thank you for uh, all of that tonight. We thank you for your presence here. We ask, God, that you lead us, you guide us. We pray that we would receive a, a new understanding, maybe a deeper revelation of you, who you are, and I pray, Father, that this be a time where we can grow in our faith. We give you thanks tonight. We ask that you would uh, just have your way. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to John chapter 2. Reminder. Uh, for our podcast listeners, that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. Could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. John chapter 2, the Gospel of John chapter 2. And I volunteer to read verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus reveals his glory, and his disciples took their faith in him. All right, thank you for reading that. Uh, John 2.11, what that speaks of, uh, those of you that are familiar with that, uh, Jesus and his disciples were invited to a wedding which they attended, and it was at this wedding that they ran. They were running out of wine, uh, which was a big no-no, kind of social faux pas at a wedding to run out of the booze. And so uh, because of that, it would be a major embarrassment, you know, et cetera. So, uh, so Jesus' mom, Mary, asked him if he would do something about it. So she obviously had some kind of faith, some kind of understanding that he could, there was something miraculous about him and that he could do this. And so he said he would, and uh, he gave some instructions. Uh, he was looking for these big pots to be filled with water. And uh, we don't have any real details of how it happened or how anything took place, but when somebody went to dip in to get into where these pots were filled with water, out came wine. It was the best wine of the whole evening, the whole party, the whole wedding reception. So uh, this, and then you see this is the descriptor of it. Now, I'm going to say something here, and don't get mad at me, and I'll explain why I'm saying this after a few minutes, but uh, there, there's something significant about this event there's something very significant about it. Now, the other Gospels describe Jesus as having already been healing people and there was delivering people. And so 
there were certain signs that he had been performing already. There were certain things that he did in preaching and in in teaching and in healing ministry and deliverance ministry, things like that, that he was doing even before he called his disciples. So that was prior to this. So I'm not contradicting what the Bible is saying. All I'm saying is, is that there were those things that had taken place already on record that Jesus was already doing. The reason this is significant, and that's what I really want to look at tonight, is that this is, and, and it's contained in the descriptor that Kim read in the verse, and it says it was at this place at this time that he began to, this was the first time he was revealing his glory. And there's something really significant about that that we want to look at and why I believe that Cana is set apart, especially in the writings of John here, as being that first place. Because I believe it's the first place that he really began to reveal his glory. He began to reveal who he was, who he is. So, uh, and that's really what I want to look at tonight, because the scriptures are full, the New Testament is full of signs and miracles. Miracles, I'm going to define for you, and this may be a funny definition to you, I have no idea you think about this, but miracles are defined as an exertion of power. That's what a miracle is, it's an exertion of power. Uh, And later on in the New Testament, when in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is miracles. You know, the gifts, there's prophecy, there's tongues, interpretation of tongues, there's gifts of healing, there's a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Uh, and, and one of the gifts, the word of faith, or the gift of faith, one of the gifts is miracles. Well, that word for miracle in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is uh, dunamis, which is where we get our word for dynamite, and it means power. Okay, so miracles and power, the exertion of power, is a New Testament understanding of what miracle is. And it's it's not only through the Gospels, but also in the epistles, that they understood that if you're going to talk about miracles, specifically miracles, you're talking about the exertion, the release of power. That's what happens. So, uh, works, manifestations of Jesus. Now, all these manifestations, all these works, all the signs, miracles, exertion of power that was taking place, they were obvious. In other words, they were public. And so, if you were there, you could see someone get healed. Like someone, someone that couldn't walk, all of a sudden stood up and walked. So, there was an obvious healing that took place there or someone that was out of their mind possessed of demons that he spoke deliverance over that after he spoke of them they're in their right mind and if you were there and you were witness to that you would see that and that would be something that would be obvious and there's a reason i'm talking about this because these miracles this exertion of power the works the manifestations the signs they're all really public and they're all really easy for people to see. It was something that they experienced, something that they took note of. It was something they saw and it began to draw bigger and bigger crowds around Jesus because people could see those things. And I mean, even the Pharisees could see those things. I mean, it, it, like Jesus, he healed the man's hand on the Sabbath day. And, and he told the man, as I stretch forth your hand, he stretched forth his hand and his hand was healed. Well, the Pharisees could see that because they judged him for it. They got all mad about it because he was healing on the Sabbath. And so it wasn't brought into question. Like it didn't take some special faith for someone to see the miracle happen, to see the healing happen. They just saw it. It's like, oh, okay. He stretched forth his hand. It was healed. It wasn't that way before. It is now. He performed a healing. And they got really upset because in their book, according to a Hoyle Pharisee book, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. So they're mad about it. But my point in that was, is that they had to be able to see it to be mad about it. Like they had to experience it. They had to take note of it. And so all of those signs and all of those things that were taking place, those healings, they were really obvious that people could see. And they didn't require anybody to believe in Jesus. They didn't require anybody to believe 
in who he was or what he was saying in order to see them. They were just obvious physical manifestations of something that happened. And so from the most ignorant among them to the most learned of the Pharisees, the most unspiritual to the most spiritual, anything in between, they could all see it. It was just something that was obvious. All right, there's something different, though, that takes place here in John chapter 2. And that's really what I want to focus on, is I want to focus on what was different about this. And, and it's pretty much overlooked because people just read, oh, this is his first miracle. Well, no, this is the first place that he revealed that he showed his glory. Right? And that's the important part of this. And throughout the book of John, the Gospel of John, there are instances where Jesus revealed his glory. And what you begin to see through the Gospel of John, you can track it through the Gospel of John, is that Jesus reveals more and more of his glory throughout the Gospel. And you go back to the beginning to see, okay, well, what sets the stage for that? Well, John chapter 1 and verse 14, if somebody wants to read that. This is John speaking about Jesus and, and what they experienced with him. John 1.14. Okay, so what he describes is, is that he describes incarnation. All right, that's the birth of Jesus. That's as good as you get in John. All right, you can read the previous 13 verses, but you know, the other gospels have a good narrative about how Jesus was born and all that. Well, except for uh, two of them do, Matthew and Luke do. But in John, this is about as good as you get, and the word became flesh. There it was. There's a Christmas story. That was it. That's all you get. And then it says, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, in other words, he describes it very concisely. This is the birth of Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. So the birth of Jesus and the word became flesh. The life of Jesus and their life with him and we beheld his glory. See, concise. But that's how he describes those years they spent together. Three years, three and a half years that they spent together is, is concisely described in that phrase. And we beheld his glory. And so the gospel of John is a progressive revelation of the glory of Jesus. And so, and, and that's what you see. So the beginning of that revelation, the beginning of that progressive revelation of the glory of Jesus is Cana. This is the first spot. This is the first stop on the glory tour. This is it. And so we're in Cana. I described the situation that happened. And what's interesting about it is that not everyone standing there, follow me on this, not everyone standing there would have known anything happened. So this is unlike a healing. Because people could have been standing and watching what was going on, but if they didn't have any knowledge about what was in those containers prior, if they weren't like the three, four people or whoever was pouring water into them, they wouldn't know what was in there. Because they, they weren't like glass. You couldn't see them. They're just containers of liquid. So nobody knew about that. So there's only a few people that even knew what was going on. There was Mary, because she asked him. There were the disciples, because they were with him. And they're the people who ever poured the water. And really, they're the only ones that knew what had happened. So this wasn't like the other stuff that took place. Okay, and this is kind of important that you understand that. This isn't like the healings. It's not like the deliverances. It's not like the other stuff that was taking place that everybody saw. You didn't require any faith. You didn't require anything. Everybody saw it. That was it. This took place, and we don't even know how it took place. It just took place. And there was wine. That was it. That's the story. But the disciples knew. And Mary knew. And whoever poured that water knew. But they were the only ones. And so significantly, this became the first ray of his glory. 
that people could see. But who could see it? Well, his disciples could see it. Who else could see it? Well, Mary could see it. And who else? Whoever those people were that poured the water. They're the only ones that could see it. Because it wasn't revealed to anyone else. And, and they didn't have an opportunity really to see it. It was just them. It was just those people. Those people I just mentioned. That's who that revelation, that, that reveal, that ray of glory, that's who that was revealed to. Now once the gospel was written and once uh, the story was made known, well, then other people, uh, we can see through the story what happened, sort of. We know something took place. And so we benefit from that. But understanding it in context, understanding what actually happened at the time, not everyone knew. Not everyone could even see it. And there's a good reason for that. Because the idea is, is that God, when, when Jesus revealed himself here, it was, you know, he's described as in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. That's John chapter 1 and verse 1. So he's described as the word. And, and so his actions, his life, uh, the way he went about doing things, that is the word. That's the manifestation of the word in human form. And so it's, it's, it's whoever can hear, if we have ears to hear, we can hear that word. But it's only people who have ears to hear. Or uh, th this could have been a sign, and it was a sign to certain people, but only those people that could see and only those people that could interpret it for what it was. It was only those few people that were standing there and only those few people that actually saw it for what it was, they were able to interpret it, to see it, to actually understand it. That was it. And so so who could do that? Who would we say? Well, who can see? Well, only the people that were there. Who can interpret? Well, the disciples and Mary and the other people that were there. I want you to think about this for a second, and this is what we're going to get to. And I've described this before using this passage, so if you've heard it, pretend you didn't. Listen up. Water regularly becomes wine. How? It falls from the sky and it goes into the ground. And if it happens to fall near a vineyard, that water then feeds into the plant, up into the, the vine of the vin, uh, the, in the vineyard, and that vine produces leaves and fruit. And so that fruit that it produces is full of liquid. Where'd that liquid come from? The water that entered the ground and it came up through the vine. So then that liquid that's in the grape gets squeezed out. However it gets squeezed out, in modern times, we have our ways of doing it. Back then, they squeezed it out maybe differently. Now, maybe they had somebody with really small feet squeezing out. I don't know. I don't know how they were doing it. But that gets squeezed out, and then through a natural process, that, that grape juice, that fresh cider, that grape juice, then ferments and becomes wine. So water, through the natural processes that were instituted in creation, becomes wine over, over time and over a number of processes that need to take place for that to happen. What you see taking place here is that that process is taking place through Jesus, but in a very condensed fashion, skipping all the steps. So water is being made into wine. That is a revelation of his glory. Why is that a revelation of his glory? Because he is the creator. It tells us something about him that's revealed way later in through the epistles. And what was being revealed in through the epistles is that by him, through him, all things were made, and it's by him all things are held together. That's revelation. That's revelation. That's understanding who he is better. That's getting a glimpse, a ray of his glory. 
And this was the first place that that began to take place. This is the first time. And so the disciples had the opportunity to look at this, and it wasn't just somebody being, and I'm not trying to downplay this at all, it wasn't somebody being healed, it wasn't, it wasn't some deliverance that was taking place. Because anybody can see that. Even the Pharisees who hate him could see that. The Sadducees could see that. The scribes could see that. Everybody can see that. This was something else. This was something where Jesus was revealing a portion of himself, and it was for those that had eyes to see and those that had ears to hear. There were those that were close to him and those that could interpret it and could understand it. What were they to understand? They were to understand that Jesus, as being revealed through this, what took place in Cana, Jesus is by him and through him all things were made. It's a revelation of his glory. And they'd have to understand that if they're going to receive that revelation. And so what happened with the with this, this, what happens here with Jesus with the disciples is that it breathes faith into them. It inspires them. And, and so this inspiration that takes place here is a new revelation. It's a fuller teaching. It's something that ne they'd never seen and they'd never heard before, but it leads them into a deeper and higher faith in their life as to who Jesus is and what he can do. And so what it also brings, because of where it takes place, it would also speak to, let's say, the disciples of John. Now you think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a hermit. Right? And I mean, just practically. He, he was out in the wilderness, living off the land. I mean, locusts and honey and wearing skins and looking all rough and everything. I mean, he's a hermit. And he's living out in the wilderness and, and he came and, and he was baptizing and he was preaching and all those things like that. But this word, this revelation that Jesus brings and where he did it and how it took place at this very public setting in this place, in this city, what this is saying is, is that the message that was being given to the disciples is not a message for the wilderness. It's not a message to be going forth out into the nothingness of the wilderness, but it is a message for the hearts of men. And it's something that needs to be taking place, needs to be taking place where people are. Somebody look at John 17, 15. John 17, 15. Thank you. John 17, 15. Love each other. Mm -hmm. Thank you. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Right. Okay, thank you. So what you're looking at here is this idea that, that, and this is, John 17 is when Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he's praying for his disciples. And so a specific prayer that he prays for us, and for the disciples then and disciples now, is that we're not taken out of the world. That's not, and, and he prays that we're not taken out of the world. Because his word and his message is for this world. It's for the people that are here and the people that are around us. And that's why that, that whole idea, that whole idea of, of disappearing, of, of, of being on a constant retreat. And retreats are important, but you go away, but you come back, right? Yeah, you might you know, strategically, you head out somewhere, you, you get something, you, you rest, you do whatever you need to do, but you come back and you come back stronger than you left. That's the idea of the retreat. The retreat isn't, oh, it's a permanent retreat, and we're all just going to go disappear somewhere. But it's like, I don't know, I need to get recharged or whatever it is, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back stronger. I'm coming back with a vengeance. 
into wherever it is that I am, whatever it is that I'm doing, whatever that place is that God has placed me. And I think about, a lot of times I think, when I think about this stuff, it's like Martin Luther. Now here's a guy who take, took a vow and was a monk. And you think about the life of a monk. Not only is it a bad haircut, but I mean, they, they really, they live in, in seclusion. And, but that's the idea of the monastery. That's the idea of the nunnery, the convent. Is that you're living and you're withdrawing yourself and you're shutting yourself off from the world. Well, didn't Jesus pray not that? Right? Isn't that what it says? He prayed not that. And, and, and people that take these vows and do whatever, whatever, I, you know, Bless them, whatever. But Jesus prayed not that, all right? And, and so not that is that we're supposed to head on out. Well, Martin Luther, over time, was getting this progressive revelation. If you know anything about his life, uh, you, you kind of understand what I'm talking about. But he's an interesting study, maybe a little bit crazy, but definitely, definitely sensitive and definitely open to what God had for him and what God was going to do through his life. And so he went from being a monk to not only leaving the monastery, but heading into the world to the point that he was writing songs and writing worship music that was based on the contemporary music of the day, which was bar songs. And he was taking the gospel out into the marketplace, taking the gospel into the bars, into the places where people gathered, taking the gospel to where people were. Somehow he got a revelation that turned his life around from living in a monastery and whipping himself, you know, chastening himself, to taking that gospel and making it relevant to the people that were all around him. I mean, he wrote the, he, he translated the Bible into German so that people could read it, so people could understand it. That even if they couldn't read it, someone that could read could read the German and at least they could understand what the Bible had to say. I mean, the, the German Bible that he translated into German is still used today. Right, that was over 500 years ago, that guy translated. And it wasn't like a team of translators, it was Martin Luther. He translated the Bible into German, and it's still being used today. So he got a revelation of that, and I'm just using him as one example. There's so many examples, but he got a revelation of that. Yeah, Jesus prayed not that, not what, not what he was doing. Jesus prayed not what he was doing, but to take the gospel into the marketplace, to take the gospel into where people are, take the gospel where people gather. Take the gospel into people's lives where, you know, they need, they need that good news. He got the revelation. He got, he, he got it. And he, and he did it. Practically, he took steps in order to actually do that. To actually take that word in a way that people could understand it into their lives right where they were. And that's just a powerful statement. Jesus is taking you know, this, this revelation is coming where? Out in the middle of the wilderness? No. This revelation's coming where? Just among him and his disciples? No. It is a public gathering. It's a wedding. It's a wedding reception. It's a party. It's a place where people are celebrating. It's a place of joy. And that's where he's revealing himself. You see Jesus in a lot of social situations. A lot. And those are things that are recorded through the scriptures. He's in, he's in social situations more than he's in come and see. You know, we got this come and see attitude. Come and see us. Well, yeah, that's all right sometimes. But, I mean, we got to be in the mode where we're going out and we're meeting and we're greeting and we're kissing babies and we're shaking hands. Because that's what he did. And, and so, to me, that's a huge revelation to know Jesus was putting himself into those situations. Jesus was going into those social situations, and he was bringing the revelation into those, those situations. I was kind of disappointed there wasn't more of that in that show we've been watching. I mean, he's happy enough, but I want to see him out with people. All right? Most of the time we see him in that show, he's sitting there camped up with his, his buddies, you know, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. Or he's walking around by himself out in the middle of nowhere. Or, or whatever's going on. Or they're, they're planning the big revival crusade. Come on out and see. 
But the reality of it was is that he found himself in so many social situations so often that one of the big knocks against him, one of the big things that people said about him didn't like him, and that he was a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yeah. Yeah, you don't make that statement based on one time. You don't make that statement based on two times. You make that statement based on a lifestyle of spending time with people where they're at and engaged in what they're doing. It's okay. It's good. It's Jesus. Because he prays that we're not taken out of the world, but we're right where we're at. That's his prayer for us. And so it must be good if that's what he's praying. It must be. I believe it's good. I believe he's got us right where he wants us. And for some of us, that might be where we go to school or it might be our job or it might be whatever it is. But he's got us where he wants us. He's got a circle of friends and a circle of people that are around us and people that we run into all the time. It's where he wants us. Out on the street on Saturdays, that's where he wants us. That's the spot. At the hockey game, out, out skating, ice skating, wherever that is, that's where he wants us. Out at Tully's or out at Buffalo Wild Wings, that's where he wants us. We don't do those things just because we're bored. We do those things because there's a call on our lives and there's something bigger going on here. Something that more powerful going on here. we got to recognize that. And see those opportunities for what they are. They're opportunities for us. Opportunities for Jesus to be revealed. Opportunities for more of his glory to be shown. The other thing that I want you to look at this, and I'm not going to emphasize this a ton, but I really want you to think about this. What did he do here? He made wine, right? Yeah. I mean, his mom asked him. He could have said no. I mean, son of God can say no if he wants to. I mean, that's his prerogative. He could have said no, but he didn't. And so what he does here is he's allowing why they need more wine. Yeah, why they need more. People were still there. What were they doing? They were partying, having fun, enjoying themselves, dancing, singing, doing things that people do at wedding receptions, blah, 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 right? And so by making the wine, I mean, if they ran out of wine, party's over, head on home. Why Why did he make more of the wine? He was enabling joy and celebration. And like I said, I'm not going to belabor that. I just want you to think about that. They could have just run out. Happens. Have a good night, everybody. All done. Yeah, they could stay if they wanted to, but the idea was that they probably wouldn't. And they probably wanted to, to continue on with the celebration. And I don't want you to see this as negative. It's a positive thing. He's enabling this. And so I challenge, I challenge maybe some of you, if you were brought up in a more conservative form of Christianity, I'm going to challenge you for a second here. Not to look at that. I mean, people make stuff up about this. They make stuff up about the story. And they talk about, oh, it wasn't really wine or whatever. It was wine. In fact, we know it was wine because the guy came up and he's like, why'd you save the best wine till now? It was the best wine. So we know it was wine. We know it was really wine. And we know what he was doing here. But instead of looking at it negatively, and I want to challenge you to this. Instead of looking at what was going on there negatively, look at it likely the way Jesus looked at it. That this was a time of celebration. This was a time of joy. And he was going to enable that in, their, in those people's lives. He values that. He values it. He values celebration. And he values joy in our lives. And I've talked about this before, but... It's important for us to get that. I think so often, I mean, it's like we all know the sourpuss Christian. 
And if you were part of a church, you know, if you grew up in a more traditional church, you might have grown up around, you know, people that they reach a certain age and they just turn into like really mean people with a sourpuss look on their face. And it's not fun. But we don't serve a God like that. And if that has become some example to us of, well, it must be what being a Christian's like, that's such a bad example of what being a Christian's like. That it's not what it is. And it's not who we are. And it's not who Jesus is. And if you serve a God, we serve Jesus, and, and he went to this trouble, which probably wasn't much trouble for him at all, but he went to this, whatever had to happen for this to happen, to enable people to celebrate more and have more joy and to carry on the party a little bit later, he valued it that much, then shouldn't we? Shouldn't we have a value in our heart? Shouldn't we have a value in our life to celebrate together and have joy and experience joy together? I think so. Shouldn't we look to enable those things in our midst? I think so. I really do. I really think that it's important for us to celebrate things. I really think it's important for us to mark things and celebrate and, and to do things that are fun together and to spend time and, and to celebrate and have joy together. I really believe that. And I believe we need to, we need a purpose for that and we need to, to purpose to do it and we need to really enable that in one another's lives. And so I want to encourage you toward that, to enable that joy and to enable that celebration. And so this act that took place, this revelation of glory, it inspired the disciples. In other words, he breathed faith into them. It breathed faith. I mean, he breathed faith into them through what he did there. Because they watched something that, yeah, water turns into wine. It does, but not like that. Not like that. And so all those steps in between were skipped. How? Because he's the creator. He is the creator. And so the one who created the process is the one who did what he did there in Cana, which is well within his, his prerogatives to do it that way. He's the creator. And so that revelation that came to them and that revelation that they, they, they took hold of that day, that inspired them. That breathed some faith into them. Because what can Jesus do? Anything he wants. Anything he wants. He's the creator. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, he took hold of that. And, and water was made and created into wine. You see, the Holy Spirit brought it about by the hand of Jesus. And so they began to understand who they were following. They began to understand who was teaching them. They began more fully to understand that their lives were intertwined with this man. And they began to really fully, more fully understand who he was and what he could do. And so that just opened up a whole world of possibilities. It just really did. I want you to think about the possibilities that would open up before you with the Creator. The Creator just right with you. The Creator that you can call a friend. The Creator that you're sharing life with. The Creator that you hear every single day and you're just speaking to Him and you're eating with Him and you're just taking time every single day with Him, the Creator. How many possibilities are opened up in your life by being that close to the Creator? Well, let it be. Let it be. Let it be that you're inspired. Let it be that you recognize your relationship with Him tonight. Let it be that you know in your heart of hearts that He's able. Able to do what? Anything. Anything which means that you're able by his power, his authority, his anointing to see anything take place in your life. Anything. 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 And so it says they believed in him. And it's not like they didn't believe in him before. They did believe in him, but they had 
a more steadfast belief and faith in him after this. They saw him differently. I mean, if you think about it, they saw creative power. But he used water in the pots. All right, do you understand the lesson here? I explained the lesson before, but I want you to, I want to drive it home right now. Did he have to have water in the pots to make wine? No. He didn't need water. That was for them. That wasn't for him. He didn't need water in order to make wine. He could have just made wine if he wanted to. That's a miracle, right? Something from nothing? That's a miracle. He could have done that. He didn't. He chose to use the water in the pots because he was teaching them a lesson about creative power. Can you ask your question, why? Well, why? Because everything he did right there, and I want you to think about this stuff, the order of creation was not interrupted in this. It was not interrupted. The power that generally works through mediating links came to an immediate connection. That was the only difference. You see, the order of creation was followed. So the power, though, was condensed. The creative power was condensed into a moment. That's what happened. Because there's no denying the creative power in the regular process. There's creative power in the regular process because that's what was spoken. And, you know, whatever day that was focused on and spoken on in creation, is that he spoke and, and these things are. And so that power that continues through whatever processes you want to look outside and see. You want to look every spring, every fall, every summer, every every blossom, every harvest. You look at that and you see that creative power taking place. Now, I know we can describe it, but we can't make it. We can't really make it happen. We can describe it. And in the Bible, it talks about how the farmer, he takes the seed and he puts it into the ground and he waters it. And then something happens over time and it sprouts and it grows and, and the idea is that what does the farmer do to make it grow? He just waters it. Or the rain waters it. All he did was put it in the ground, right? And it sprouts up. And, and a number of years ago, we had this book that we used and we talk about growth within the church. And, and it was written by a German guy. And, and the Germans like to string words together into one big long words. And he had this word for that when you put the seed in the ground and then you know, you don't do anything, but you look at it a while later, you know, a few weeks later, a month later, and there's a sprout. He has this word, big, long German word, it's all by itself growth. Now, I know that's not one word for us, but it was for him. Long word, all by itself growth. Because you put the seed in the ground, it rains, everything happens on it, and then it just grows. You see, there's a power at work there. There's a, there's a life, there's creative power at work there. And so that is the order of things. That is the creative power and the order of things. Well, there's a creative power at work here. That that power was condensed into a moment instead of over a period of time. And so their faith was energized by that. Because it wasn't so much, I got to make something up, or, or they weren't seeing Jesus making something up out of nothing. What they were seeing was, is that he was able to take that power and apply it in a moment. And that which takes place by itself in creation took place in a moment because that power is released in that moment. We call that, as I said before, an exertion of power. And that's what took place. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And so the disciples were inspired by that. And the disciples were all of a sudden empowered by that. Because they began to see the possibilities, not only in the life of Jesus, but they began to see the possibilities in their own life. Because when that guy, Jesus, 
anoints you and sends you. And he says, all right, you've seen the things I've done. Now you guys go on and do even greater. Go ahead. Or when Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Well, see, we're going at his command. Because he says at the end of that, for I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us. So what are the possibilities of being sent by Jesus, empowered by Jesus, knowing that he's always with us? What's the possibility in front of us? Anything. Anything's possible. Anything is possible. He is the agent of creation. And so what needs to happen? Anything can happen. And, and so it, it comes down to us being inspired. It comes down to us allowing for that inspiration to breathe that in, to breathe that spirit, that life-giving spirit into us and to take hold of that and let it manifest through our lives. That's faith. That is faith. Because I know what he can do. I know what he can do. And he chose to do it this way in order to inspire them. He chose to do it this way in order to inspire us. And yet we skip over this almost every time we read it. Almost every time that you've read this, you probably skipped over most of this. Because we don't see it. We, we, we don't have the, we don't have the, our eyes aren't open to see it. Well, I'm hoping your eyes are open tonight. And I'm hoping that your ears are open tonight. And I'm hoping that you see this ray of his glory. And we talk about it all the time. It's like, well, I want to see your glory, God. Yeah, I want to see his glory. Well, here's a ray of it right now. Here's a ray of his glory for us. And if we can breathe this in, if we can take hold of this, we can begin to see some pretty powerful things manifest in our lives. And I'm pretty excited about that. I'm pretty excited that, that we can begin to look at things differently. We look at situations differently. It's like, well, I, I guess that's the end of that, is it? Or is it the beginning? Well, I, I guess we're out of this. Are we? Or is this an opportunity for more? Well, it looks like I, I ran out of money this month. Did you? Or is this the, faith, the place where faith is possible? You see, it, it sometimes requires us to run out of something in order to be in that place where faith is even possible. Because you got to need something, right? you got to look for something and say, oh, I, I need this or I, I'm looking for this. And, and to really begin to believe for it, really begin to believe that God can do anything. It's well within his power. He is the agent of creation. And so what does he want to create? What does he want to do in you? What does he want to do in your life? You know, the materials are there. Right? You're here, right? You're the material tonight. Let's just talk in terms of your life. You're the material. You know, back then in, in Cana, water was the material. But he can take that material and in an instant apply his power to it and make it something else. Because maybe there's parts of your life that need to be something else. Maybe there's parts of your life that you need to leave behind because they're not serving you very well. And, and they can become something else, something better. Maybe there's parts of you that you've held on to and, and it's time to let go of. Because he wants to create, he wants to do something new in you. You know, the Bible talks about, it's like, your old creation, now you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Right? 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 See, that, isn't that a creative work? In creation, doesn't that beg that word? And so if the Bible describes us as a new creation, well, you're the material. Well, he can make you in an instant what he wants you to be. A lot of times he takes you through a process. That's okay. If, whether he does it in an instant or he takes you through a process that power, that creative power, is still unbroken. The order of creation in you is unbroken whether it takes 20 years or he does it in a moment. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Because the order of creation 
is what he established from the very beginning, and it's taking place in us. But I, I just want to believe God there's certain things he wants to do right now. I want to believe God that we find ourselves in that Cana moment in our life, and he does something bang in the twinkling of an eye that nobody else maybe can see, but I hope you can. I hope your eyes are open. I hope your ears are open. There's times I've seen God move powerfully and no one notices. You're like, how can that be? Well, it is. They notice the outcome of it, but they don't see how it happened. Same as here. I've seen that take place overseas. I've seen that take place where God's done miracles. I remember in Brazil and, and we're doing tent meetings. We're outside for a lot of the day. And, and there were just clouds everywhere. And, and it, in the weather report, rain, 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 five days of rain. We're there for five days. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Everybody's preparing for rain. We're out there. And, and all of a sudden, the weather just shifted. The sun came out. And we had sunny days the rest of the week. Who saw that? Well, you saw it, but what happened? Right? Right. What happened? Well, something happened. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't something that just, oh, well, well, that's good luck. It wasn't luck at all. There was something that took place in that moment that maybe four or five people saw, but changed the course of that, the, what we were doing there, changed the course of that crusade, and changed the course of what was going to happen in that city. Well, who saw that? Well, maybe four or five people. Those people that could hear and people that could see. And they saw something, God do something that hopefully inspired them and hopefully fed their faith to a more steadfast place. I just don't want to be that guy that never sees anything. I want to be that guy that I'm eyes wide open, ears wide open. God, what are you doing? I want that kind of inspiration in my life. I want that kind of steadfast faith. I want to grow in that. I want to see God moving as the agent of creation right in front of me. Because there's something powerful about that. Because you think about all the things that he's done. I mean, like Jesus, he calmed the storm, right? He calmed the sea. He could walk on water. Well, right, of course he could. Of course he could. All of those things are things that were well within the, the boundaries of what he had created. And he was moving in that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, he's given us the same Holy Spirit. He's given us the authority. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. We need to raise our expectations. We need to begin to raise our expectations about what God wants to do through us. How God wants to move through us. Not just little things, but in big things too. Not just impossible things, but in impossible things. At least impossible the way people think. And, and maybe it requires us to begin to think outside the box of impossibilities. And begin to put more into the possible box. Take, a, take that stuff out of the impossible box and begin to put it into the possible box in our life so that we can begin to see and live and experience and know how God has set things in order from the very start to find ourselves in that order of creation and take our place in it. We have a place in the order of creation. Jesus showed us our place the firstborn among many brothers and sisters is our place. Should we choose to take it? I'm going to ask you to respond. Uh, we're going to take a few moments and pray. And I just, uh, I'm just really thankful that we serve a living God who shares. That His desire for us is to reclaim our, our place in creation. That as part of what God did in creation, you know, Adam and Eve were the last thing. And he gave them dominion over what he created. And you see Jesus over and over again taking that spot as the second Adam. You see the dominion that he enjoyed over creation. You see him taking his place in the midst of the creation. 
It's showing us how to do it. If we're willing. If we're willing. So Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would just begin to break barriers in our minds. I pray you begin to break down limitations, begin to break down barriers that are in our mind, in our thinking, in our thought life, barriers that have been placed upon us by others, barriers that people have proclaimed over us, barriers that, that, that hinder us and that keep us from moving into the potential that you have for us, God. I just, I just rebuke that, and, and I just say no to those barriers. I pray that you'd begin to cleanse us, begin to cleanse us of those things, those ideas, those thoughts that have hemmed us in. And I pray, Father, for, for just a breakout tonight, a breaking out, God, uh, from the barriers, a breaking out from the hemming in, a breaking out into freedom and liberty, a breaking out into our place in creation, a breaking out into possibility, a breaking out into real faith in our lives. Real faith. Real faith. I mean, believe in you, God, for where we are and who we are in you. Believe in you, Lord God, for our place in the created order of things. Believe in you, God, for more in our lives, to see more, experience more, to go about our life in a different way. For God, I pray tonight that we would take hold of that dominion, we'd take hold of that place in creation and actually live it. I want to live it. And so I pray that you would breathe your spirit into us tonight. I pray you begin to just inspire us tonight, begin to activate our faith tonight, begin to activate us more into the place that you have for us. I just pray faith rise up, rise up in us. Faith that says the impossible is possible. God, that we begin to put more things into possibility, more things into play, more things into things that can happen in our lives and through our lives, that we begin to just, just take apart that box of impossibilities and look at the possible in front of us. I just pray more. I pray more, and I pray more in Jesus' name. More. More. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray that you would teach us what it is to exert power in and through our lives. What that looks like, what that feels like, how what it feels like to exert power in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, uh, thank you, Lord. Yeah, you see, God, uh, it's speaking a word of destroying a veneer, even like uh, something that you would place over the ground. It's like a thin film, and it's a veneer. It's like the way you want things to seem, the way you want things to look, the way you know you have to live in a certain expectation or a certain pattern. And we just uh, break against that tonight. We break and destroy that tonight. And that even as you, you know, he spoke to Moses, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. He's like, take off the things that are protecting your feet from really touching creation. Take off the things that are protecting you from being vulnerable. Take off the things that are protecting you from really receiving a connection with the Creator. And your feet on the ground, you're in holy ground, you're connected with the Creator, you're connected with creation, and the power that flows through that. So we speak that connection tonight in Jesus' name. I pray discernment for people to see and to understand what's in the way, God. Thank you, what's Lord. What's in the way? What's blocking? And we would toss it off, we would throw it aside, and we would be unhindered in our love for you and our connection to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, God. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray for weirder and stranger things in our lives, God. That, God, we would have an expectation for more. More. More of the unexpected, more of what we didn't you know, think was going to happen, just more. I pray more of stranger and weirder things take place in us, through us, in church time, in kinships, in, in Bible study, in prayer times, God. just to, I pray, Lord, that there just be more, more, Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, God. We bless you, God. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Father, I pray you'd raise us up in power. Uh, we want to see more. We want to see more. We believe you for more. I pray you'd inspire us. I pray, God, that you would raise us up in faith, a steadfast faith in our life. Use us, God. And I pray for the miraculous, the creative, the powerful. We'll give you thanks tonight. We'll give you praise. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.